we are starting a new series today simply called Re. And this is the perfect time of year for us to do this. I mean, in the summer, we change our schedules a little bit so that we can relax and be rejuvenated. We spend more time in recreation uh, to recharge our batteries. But the fall is one of the times each year we focus on restarting our normal routine. Parents regain their sanity because their kids return to school. We refocus our attention on other priorities. We revive our diet. Our exercise routine gets a rebirth and we reconcile our finances to deal with the expenses of the summer. But maybe it's time for us to use the fall to reevaluate other things in our lives. Do I need a redo in my life? Do I need to reset my priorities? Do I need to restore some of my relationships? So with questions like that, re-enters our lives. Two small letters that have a big job. The prefix re means to do something again, to return to a previous condition. And any way you cut it, re has work cut out for us. So in this series, we'll look at several areas of life, and the series will help each of us to ask ourselves the questions, what do I need to re? What do I need to re? In future weeks, we'll look at rebuilding your reputation and responding to Jesus and reclaiming your kids and re-energizing your purpose and remaining true. But today, we want to start with the subject of renewing your mind. I'm reminded of a woman named Elsie. Elsie and her husband, Wayne, had played a big part in starting the church that I served in Southern California. Wayne was an officer in the Air Force, and Elsie might have seemed to be a little stronger in her personality and control issues than her husband as an officer was. But uh, they helped start our church, and in the early years, she was a force to be reckoned with. I mean, she had created problems for several pastors throughout the years. She had helped keep the church small by causing disagreements and division within the church. And that was not the case, however, by the time that I began my ministry there. Uh, During the time that I was there, she was a pretty pleasant, uh, easy-to-get-along-with person, mostly because Elsie had grown older. She had grown older. And I remember doing the um, vow restatement ceremony for Wayne and Elsie's 60th wedding anniversary. And um, then it was several years after that that Elsie was really failing in her health. Wayne had passed on. But towards the end of my ministry in California, I went to visit her. And she sat in her wheelchair And I sat in a chair right next to a big picture window. And as we sat there talking, her dog came up to that window. And Elsie saw him and told me how that dog had protected her from someone trying to get into the house one day. He had barked and growled and uh, snapped at this person trying to get in the house. 
and I listened to the story, and then we talked a little bit more, and about 10 minutes passed, and then she looked out that window, and she saw her dog, and Elsie told me this story about a day that her dog protected her from someone trying to get into the house, the same story word for word. And in about 45 minutes, Elsie told me the same story word for word four different times. It was really kind of sad. This bright, intelligent woman had lost her short-term memory. What she needed was a renewed mind. And I'm thankful that when she got to heaven, she received not only a new body, but a new mind. I stood in line Saturday or Friday night behind a man at a convenience store, and when it came time for him to go to the counter, he turned to me, and with frustration, he said, go ahead of me. I know I came in here for something. I just don't know what I came in here for. I don't remember what I came in here for. He wasn't a very old guy. He was maybe a little older than me, but not very much older, and uh, he blamed his lack of remembering on choices he made in the 60s. Some of you understand what, uh, what he was talking about there. But what he needed was a renewed mind. And sometimes we need a new mind because ours is not as sharp as it used to be. But when the Bible talks about us having a renewed mind or a new way of thinking, it's usually referring to something else. Scripture seems to know that the problem most of us will experience is less about a faulty memory and more about faulty thought patterns left over from before we gave our heart and our life to Jesus. In the Bible, renewing our mind is about training our brain to think like Jesus. And this isn't a small thing. Understanding this and practicing this isn't a small thing. As a matter of fact, Jesus says it's part of the most important commandment. Look at what he says in Matthew 22. He, he said, teacher, which command in the law is the most important? Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and most important command. Did you catch it? We're supposed to love God, not just with all our heart, not just with all our soul, but with all our mind. How do you do that? How do you love God with all your mind? I mean, we are used to thinking about love coming from our heart and from our soul. We understand that language, but how do you love with your mind? My wife has told me, that she loves me with all her heart on many occasions. And I've said the same thing to her. But if in a romantic moment, she said, Steve, I love you with all my mind. I guess I'd feel flattered. I might even say it back. But eventually I'd probably laugh and I would probably say, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? I'm not sure I know, but as I've thought about it in preparing this message, I suspect it would have to do with each of us thinking about what the other liked and caring about what the other cared about and working to focus on 
pleasing each other. It would have to do with being sensitive to each other and thinking of the other as more important than everyone else on the face of the earth and seeing the other as even more important than we see ourselves. Kind of makes sense when we think about it that way, doesn't it? Kind of understand it when we think about it that way. And um, so loving God with all my mind means I think about what he wants and I care about what he cares about. And I focus on pleasing him and I think of him as more important than anyone else in my life, including my wife and including myself. And when I think about it that way, I'm going to need to make some changes in my thinking if I want to claim to love God with all my mind. I'm going to need a renewed mind. Fortunately, Romans chapter 12 has a verse that gives us some insight into how to do this. Look at just the first part of verse 2. Here's what it says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One of the reasons that we start this series with this message is because this verse contains an important truth. It, uh, if you need a do-over in er any area of your life, if you need to redo anything, you need to see this bottom line truth. Here's the truth. The, it, the bottom line is this. To change our life, we have to change our thinking. To change our life, we have to change our thinking. If you don't change your thinking, you will not change your life. No matter how hard you try, it won't work unless you renew your mind. So let me give you three questions I need to ask to renew my mind. And to answer these questions, we will focus on just verse 2 of Romans chapter 12 for a few minutes. And let's look at that whole verse again, this time from the easy-to-read translation. Here's what it says. Don't change yourself to be like the people of this world, but let God change you inside with a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to understand and accept what God wants for you. You will be able to know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. So let's start by asking ourselves, who am I going to be? Who am I going to be? Whether you caught it or not, that's a key part of this verse. The verse said, don't change yourself to be like the people of the world, but let God change you uh, inside with a new way of thinking. So the question is, who are you going to be? Are you going to be a copy or are you going to be an original? Are you going to be a copy or are you going to be an original? The passage says most people in our world decide to conform to the way our world thinks. They decide to be copies. They change themselves to be like the people of the world. And we like to conform, don't we? When I was a teen, it was a time when guys were wearing long hair. And I remember that time very well. And uh, just before I entered my teen years, my dad was giving me haircuts. And my dad knew how to cut hair one way, short. It was a lot like the haircut I'm wearing right now. 
and it was short. And I remember being so upset when my dad would give me those haircuts. I hated it. I remember my brother actually crying one time while my dad was giving him a haircut with those clippers because the cool guys didn't wear their hair that way. They do now, but they didn't then. It was a big deal when I started wearing my hair long. And I grew a full beard in my sophomore year of high school and wore it for many years. Now, here's the amazing thing. Kids in those days grew their hair long and grew beards to say, I am not like my parents. I am different than my parents. I am going to show everybody I'm different by wearing long hair and having a beard just like everybody else my age who also has long hair and a beard to show how different they were. It wasn't very many years before the cool guys wore short hair because they wanted to not be like their parents. And all of them together conformed to each other so that they could be different from their parents. Um, you see, the hairstyles change and the clothing styles change, but people still change themselves to be like others in this world. And this goes far beyond how we dress or how we wear our hair. It can be people trying to imitate someone who they feel is successful or a great speaker or a great singer or a great leader, and they change their lives to be like them. Today, it can have to do with what we believe about sin. I mean, the world around us has become comfortable with some things that the Bible is clear about calling sin, and suddenly we feel pressure to agree with them. And changing ourselves to be like the people of this world today has a lot to do with what we consider polite or politically correct and tolerant. And hear me clearly, the opposite of that isn't becoming harsh and hateful. That would, wouldn't reflect Jesus either. But deciding who I'm going to be means I uh, will not become a copy of everyone else around me. I will be like Jesus. I will let Jesus change me from the inside by teaching me a new way of thinking. So first ask yourself, who am I going to be? Will I conform and be a copy of the people around me or will I let God transform me, change me, to make me unique and different. And it takes courage to decide to be different. But God wants to renew your mind to help you to be different than everyone else. The second question is, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Look back at the verse. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's pause for a minute and point out something to you. The verse is clear. God wants to transform you into a new person. So let me ask you, how are you different today? How are you different today than when you first became a follower of Jesus? And if you have been a follower of Jesus for a long time, how are you different today than you were a year ago or two years ago? See, maybe this is a good question for our growth groups to start asking each other. How is God transforming you right now? How is he changing you right now? 
You see, God wants to constantly be transforming us, changing us into who he wants us to be. And that means as we grow in Christ, we should constantly become new and different. And sometimes we seem to think that it's all about studying the Bible. And Bible study is important. We do want to study the Bible, but too often we're focused on learning more about the Bible than about letting the Bible change us. A great Christian leader said about a hundred years ago, the scriptures were given for, uh, were not given for our information, but for our transformation. God did not give us the Bible so that we would have information. He gave us the Bible because it's living and active and it changes us, it transforms us when we submit to God and to his power and what his spirit is trying to do in our lives. So as we read and study the Bible, we will, uh, find, we will constantly find God nudging us to do something, to make some changes in our life. And the verse is clear about this. As God transforms us by changing our way of thinking, then we will learn to know what God's will is for us. As God changes the way we think, we will learn what God's will is for us. One of the most common questions that I get as a pastor is, how can I know what God wants me to do? How can I know God's will for my life? It's a great question. The answer is, I let God transform me by changing the way I think. I let God transform me by changing the way I think. And when I let God do this, I begin to understand God's will for me. Some of you already know what God's will is. You already know. It just doesn't fit your current mindset. And you haven't let God change the way that you think. Scripture's clear. God wants you to love other people and to forgive them when they hurt you. There's no question about that. That's God's will. Scripture's clear. God wants us to work hard to keep our marriages strong and pure and to figure out how to love each other for a lifetime. There's no question about that. That's God's will for us. Scripture's clear. We are to live pure lives sexually. We are to serve others using the talents God has given to us. We are to love people who are different from us and to take care of people who are outcast or less fortunate than us. We're to avoid gossip. We're uh, to always tell the truth. We're to honor our political and our spiritual leaders. None of these things are a mystery. They are all things that God wants me to do. And when I let God renew my mind, I say, God, I want to know your will for me, and I want to see your will as pleasing and perfect. I want to see it as the best. And I want you to do what you want. I I want to do what you want me to do. Remember, loving God with all your mind means that what he wants is more important than what I want. So we have to ask, God, what do you want me to do? How much have you thought about that? How much have you thought about what God wants you to do? Have you focused lately on it? You see, part of God renewing your mind means you really wrestle with the question, what does God want me to do today? What does God want me to do in my life? But there's one more key question that we want to deal with, and that is, what does God want to transform? What does God want to transform? 
Just knowing what God wants you to do isn't enough. You have to ask, what is it that God wants to transform in my life? And part of asking the question needs to be a willingness to let God transform you. I mean, you may know what God wants you to do. But it's time to decide to actually do it, to actually let him make changes in your life. And your permission seems to be important. Look back at that verse. Catch the word. Let God transform you into a new person. God is waiting for you to allow him to transform you, to let him renew your mind. You need to give him permission to do that. You need to prayerfully say to him on a regular basis, God, whatever changes you want to make in my life, I give you permission to change me. I give you permission to change me, to transform me into a new person. So for the sake of time, let me point out some things that God wants to transform in you and me. First, he wants to transform what I believe. He wants to transform what I believe. Look at this passage from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He wants our minds to be positive. That's part of what he's saying there. He wants me to focus more thoughts on what's true, what's honorable, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely and admirable. Can we just admit that much of what we focus on is anything but these things? It's anything but these things. In fact, much of what I read and see around me is just simply not true. It's just simply not true. I saw a thing on Facebook this week about Jesus. It was trying to get people to think differently politically, and it was using Jesus as an illustration. The only problem was almost everything it said about Jesus was absolutely false. It was not at all true. And people who don't know Jesus, who aren't committed to him, and don't want to live by his principles are constantly trying to use Jesus to prove their point. They will quote some small part of something that Jesus said. You know, do not judge, or the poor you will always have with you, or render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and things like that to try to prove their point. And often the point they're making is totally different than what Jesus would teach. Other times, they want to take Jesus' silence on something and make the fact that he didn't say anything about it relevant. And again, they ignore the heart of Jesus and the full teaching of Jesus when they do that. But God wants to transform our mind. He wants to transform our mind because our behavior is based on what we believe. Write that down. Our behavior is based on what we believe. You realize that, don't you? What you do reveals what you believe. What you do reveals what you believe. Let me give you an example. Texting and driving is a big issue today. And many of us know someone who has been injured or maybe even lost their life because someone was texting 
while driving. And you can say that you know it's dangerous. You can say you know that, man, it's a dangerous thing and a distracting thing and it creates all kinds of accidents. But if you do it, if you text and drive even once, you really don't believe it's dangerous. At least not for you. You believe in your heart that you can control that. That it's dangerous for other people, but you can handle it even though others have had tragic results. And so if what you say you believe and what you do disagrees, what you do and not what you say is what you believe. Your behavior is based on what you believe. So what Jesus wants to change, he wants to change what you believe because that is when you will change your behavior. Do you really believe God? Now, hear clearly what I said. I did not ask, do you believe in God? I asked, do you believe God? Do you believe God? Believing God will change what we do, which brings us to the next part of how God wants to transform us. He will transform what I do. He will transform what I do. You see, when you really let God transform you, when you really let him change what you believe, it will change what you do. And when we really believe God, rather than believing in him, we will follow his instructions on how to handle conflict in our life uh, for confronting hurts when we really believe Jesus. We will stop worrying about potential problems when we believe Jesus. We will know that he is with us. We will know that he will take care of us. We will know that and we will live with his power. We will know that he will take care of us financially and we will start to give sacrificially. We will believe that people who don't know Jesus are headed for a Christless eternity and we will start sharing with them. In short, we, we will follow God's leading and do what's important to him rather than what's important or comfortable for us. And and we, uh, we, and I'm sorry, what we do will change because what we believe is changed and it will change how we think. Look at this verse from uh, Romans chapter 8. People who live following their sinful selves think only about what they want, but those who live following the Spirit are thinking about what the Spirit wants them to do. This passage gives us a clue as to how God wants to transform us. If we are stuck, if we're not being changed, it's probably because we are living our lives following our sinful self. Here's a test on that. Are you thinking more about what you want, what's comfortable for you, or are you thinking about what God wants and how to make that happen in your life? And here's one of the problems. We may have convinced ourselves that what we want is what God wants for us. We may have convinced ourselves that what we want is what God wants us to do. Here's a truth that we need to understand. Our sin is based on believing a lie. Our sin is based on believing a lie. As a matter of fact, all sin is based on believing a lie. When we sin, it's because we believe something that's false. Those who compromise their standards and sin sexually do it because they believe a lie. They believe a lie. They, 
Uh, the lie might say, my case is different, so God will excuse my sin in this area. Or it can't be wrong when it feels so right. Or my marriage is so bad, I have to find fulfillment elsewhere. Those who sin by cheating on their taxes believe a lie that says, I don't agree with what the government is doing, so it's okay for me to cheat on my taxes. Those who sin by gossiping often believe a lie that says, I just want to share the information as a prayer request. Doesn't that make gossip sound so spiritual? Those who excuse their addiction to a chemical or their secret sin often have believed a lie that says it really won't hurt anybody. It really won't hurt anyone. You see, your sin is based on believing a lie. And it may seem so right. You may really believe doing it your way instead of God's way is best for your family or that it will hurt the people that you love less or it's the only way to do business or you can't succeed at dealing with a problem any other way and so you have to do this. But as long as you believe the lies, you will only think about and only do what your sinful self wants and not what God is calling you to do. So God wants to transform you. And he wants to transform you by renewing your mind and causing you to change the way you think. He wants you to stop thinking about only what is good and comfortable for you, only what your sinful self desires, and start thinking about what the Spirit wants you to do. And then lastly, he wants to transform how I feel. He wants to transform how I feel. When you let God transform you, when you let God make you new by renewing the way that you think, by renewing your mind and giving you a new way of thinking, you are going to love the way it feels. Look at this verse from Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Does anyone else crave God's peace? Don't you crave God's peace? I mean, don't you want his peace in your life? I mean, don't you want his peace in a world that seems so violent and scary? Don't you want his peace in your home? in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids? Don't you want a peaceful workplace? When we let God renew our mind, we have his peace. And God's peace guards our heart and our minds. But notice the truth from the passage. Our peace is based on our lifestyle. Our peace is based on our lifestyle. This verse says, his peace will guard your hearts, and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Living his way is the best way. It is the most peaceful way. And his peace comes through a lifestyle of living his way. You see, God didn't call it a sin because he wanted to spoil your fun. It's a sin because it will hurt you. 
or it will hurt someone around you. God knows that living his way is the best way, the happiest way, the way that will be have the least conflicts. His way is the way of peace. And that's a lifestyle that we live when we let him renew our mind and change our thinking. We quit feeling cheated because we can't do these sinful things. And we start feeling and understanding that we're missing so much pain because we're living his way. Peace is a lifestyle. It's based on a lifestyle. The problem is too many of us make a daily decision on what our lifestyle is going to be. We make a daily decision on that. I mean, and it's often based on how we feel. It's based on how we feel. I mean, we feel lonely one day and We think we're always going to be alone, that no one's ever going to love us, that we won't be with somebody. And so we compromise our standards in our relationships to try to make sure that we won't feel lonely anymore. Or we get upset about something and then we let anger and bitterness enter our life and we hold on to that anger and that bitterness and we become angry, bitter people. Or we get worried. We see something that really is concerning to us. And the way we deal with worry is we become control freaks. We try to control the situation. We try to take the control rather than trusting God. And you see, our lifestyle keeps changing back and forth. Some days we're living for Jesus and we're living a lifestyle of following after him fully and letting him change the way that we think and transform our lives. And those days we have peace and some days... We take it all back. And we begin living for ourselves and our selfish desire. And there's no peace in that. There's only conflict in that. And peace comes from a constant lifestyle of following Jesus. So how do we do that? We let him renew our mind. We let him transform us from the inside by changing the way that we think. But look at this passage from Colossians chapter 3. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So we set our mind on things of Christ. And by the way, this passage is a direct reference to our baptism. Did you catch that? Since we've been raised with Christ, what's that ta- what that is talking about is the day that I said, God, I surrender, I give up completely, I'm going to give myself to you, and I die to my old life. That's what's symbolized when a person's put under the water of baptism. And I'm going to be raised to life. I'm going to live a new life with a renewed mind with a new way of thinking, a new way of acting, a new understanding, a new peace. And so I'm raised to life. And because I have been raised to life, I set my heart and my mind on the things above. The old life is gone. Now I'm raised to this new life. So set your heart and your mind on Jesus. It's time to hit the reset button. It's time to let God transform you by renewing your mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, we need you to step in 
and renew our mind. Father, our mindset so many times has been based on the things of this world and the people of these, this world and the problems of this world. We have let uh, the media set our mind on earthly things. Now, Father, we ask you to transform us, to change our way of thinking. Father, disturb us every time that our mindset becomes earthly. Make us uncomfortable until we understand your way of thinking, your way of living, your way of understanding life. Give us the attitude of Jesus and the heart of Jesus and the mind of Jesus so that we might have the peace of Jesus. And Father, we thank you so much for your love for us and your patience with us. And Father, we want to declare to you again that we love you and we want to follow you fully. And we ask you to change us in Jesus' name. Amen.